Hi guys, it's Mandy with the Speaking Wife Podcast. I'm so excited that you've joined us today. I'm really happy today for several reasons, but the main two are it is finally starting to feel like fall. I'm so excited about that. That's my time of year. I'm not a summer girl. Sorry to everyone that is. But the second reason that I'm super excited is because this is my 10th episode and I have a guest today. My sister, I was going to say little. She's not my little sister. She's taller than me. (laughs) Everyone in the family is taller than me, even though I'm the oldest. (laughs) But I have my sister here. Her name is Candy. Yes, it is exactly like my name, only with a C. But I have her here to talk to us today about mental health because we were talking about this last month. September was Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we thought this would be a really good thing to talk about. And neither one of us have a doctorate in this. This is just going to be a practical, real-life experience. So, Candy, take it away. Tell us who you are. Hi. <laughs> um, yes, I'm Mandy's quote-unquote little sister. Um, we are 14 months apart, Mandy and Candy. We grew up having that question thrown at us, um, are you twins, mm-hmm. our whole lives, and we were dressed alike enough that um, we kind of begged for that question. We kind of invited it. Um, I mean, we didn't have a choice about no. the dressing alike, but... No. We didn't invite it. Other people <laughs> okay. invited it. Okay, it was invited upon us. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I've known Mandy a long time, you could say. Forever, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was really honored that she asked me to be on her podcast today to talk about mental health. Again, like she said, um, neither of us are professionals in this field, um, not even a little bit. But I do have a little bit of life experience in this subject. And so I was honored to be asked to speak about it. So you are a mom of three. Yes. And I'm a mom of three, but you've got something I don't. You've got a girl. Yes. So you've got more interesting mix going on. You don't just have the boy craziness and testosterone everywhere. So tell us how old your kids are and tell us a little bit about them. Well, I, um, well, I'm, yes, I am a mom of three and I'm married to my husband, Jesse. And um, my oldest is a boy, Micah. He's 11 and he's a lot of fun. He's very analytical like I am and very, um, he's very, very energetic, very talkative. And so when he and I are together, um, it gets very interesting. <laughs> and my daughter is eight. I almost said seven. Oh, no, she's eight now. I would have been in trouble. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's eight now. And she uh, came after we experienced a miscarriage after our, um, our second pregnancy. We miscarried and she was a, a gift and a surprise. And she came out of the womb basically sparkling and just leaves a trail of glitter yes. everywhere. And she's between two boys, and that has not affected her femininity one no. iota. She is just a little fabulous princess, and I love her. She brings so much joy in life, and she brings a lot of humor and relaxation to our our home because both of my boys are much more uh, serious and, and analytical like I am. And so without her, it would be very stressful. Mm-hmm. So uh, my youngest is Joe. Uh, his name is Jesse Josiah, but we shortened his middle name to Joe. He always went by his middle name since his first name is shared with his dad. And he is just a character in and of himself. <laughs> He's experienced some sensory challenges and went through occupational therapy for that and taught me so much about being a mom um, and taught me to have grace for him and for other kids and for myself and drastically changed the parent that I am in a really good way. And um, so those are my three. So Micah, Annika, who we call AJ. Her name means gracious, merciful joy, Annika Joy. And so she goes by AJ. And then we have Joe. 
it's kind of funny, um, just an aside, I was very, very adamant that I wanted my children's names to be somewhat unique, and I find it very humorous that my youngest child's name became abbreviated to Joe. <laughs> yes. So. Life does what it wants. It does, <laughs> yes. The, the best laid plans of mice and men, is that the saying? Something like that. Yeah, I prefer to put us in the men category. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I mentioned mice, that's a no-no around candy. No, no mice, no rodents <laughs> of any kind. But, um today when we're talking about some mental health I'm gonna have you describe what a bad day looks like we've talked about how some people will say that they are suffering with depression when they're just having a bad day or just feeling a little bit blue for a few hours and there's a difference between feeling a little bit down and actually suffering with severe depression just every day every moment so describe what a bad day looks like for us and then we're going to talk about your favorite verse and how you practically apply those things in your life well, and to kind of explain why I'm, I'm even here talking about it, I have dealt with um, mental health challenges for as long as I can remember, and I didn't know what it was. As a child, I struggled with feeling down and wanting to isolate myself, and I didn't, I remember saying things like, I don't have any friends, when mm-hmm. I did have friends, yeah. and I did not understand that cloud that was always over me. And I have since learned that there's a lot of heredity there. There are a lot of other people in the family on both sides, um, but particularly on the maternal side who have dealt with things like depression. And there are other diagnoses there um, in my family history. But I didn't know what it was. And I didn't understand why I couldn't just be happy. I couldn't just be chill. I also dealt with certain um, kind of obsessive or fixating tendencies in my thoughts. I remember doing things that were kind of OCD, like counting my steps or not wanting to step on cracks or feeling like I had to chew my food certain number of times Mm. things that were just very very obsessive and anyone who suffered with OCD would would kind of understand and make sense of that but the depression in particular the the obsessive tendencies have been um, kind of situational and will flare up even in adulthood sometimes when I'm particularly stressed or life feels kind of out of control but the depression has kind of been more of the constant companion as well as anxiety. And so in my case, I have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder and possibly PTSD. That's one we're still um, kind of fleshing out. And um, so those are the things that are kind of on my my uh, my paperwork, mm-hmm. so to speak. So when you say, what does a bad day look like? Uh, we're talking about depression specifically. The thing is, with depression, particularly when you have lived with it for a long time, is it's kind of this really ugly shapeshifter, and Mm -hmm. it can take a variety of forms. And so, to speak very broadly, I would say depression is out of proportion to your circumstance. It's It's feeling despair or even numbness that's completely out of proportion to your reality. Now, sometimes we have, we go through stages of situational depression and that affects just about everyone at some point in their life. If you've experienced a loss and you're going through grief, it can be very common for you to go through a a season of depression. Mm -hmm. You may require medical treatment and help to get out of that. Sometimes people need to go to the doctor and get a medication when they can't rebound in the way that they should um, be able to when a certain 
amount of time has passed and that looks different for everyone I'm not a grief counselor but just I just want to clarify that just because you experience depression does not mean that you are someone who necessarily needs to be on medication but you may need medication in my case I I do take medication Um, but there is a situational type of depression and then there is a depression that you live with chronically Mm -hmm. or cyclically where it comes back over and over and over and you're just very prone to it and so in my case it's a situation where it's it's been a lifetime companion dealing with it and it's gotten better it's gotten worse so I guess to go back to your original question of what does a bad day look like um one way that um a bad day can look for me is to get up and generally I feel the best in the morning so I get up getting my kids ready for school um and sometimes throughout the course of the day I can just feel like something is sucking the life out of me. Mm. And there's this joke, I don't know, I know that Harry Potter in, in Christian circles can be looked at <laughs> as kind of controversial, but there's this statement they say there, there's this character called a Dementor in the in the series, and it's this hooded feature, uh, character that sucks, literally mm. sucks the life out of people, and that's kind of become a visual. Yeah. Uh, that's what it can feel like, is something's following you and sucking the life out of you. Yeah. And that's what it can feel like sometimes for me. It can feel like there's no there's no positive sensation all of the things that would generally bring me joy don't mean anything to me mm-hmm. in the way that they should yeah. and i know in my head i know intellectually that i love my kids but their antics and their jokes and the cute things they say don't create those emotions and those sensations that they normally would yeah. they typically would um it can be for me one thing that i really struggle with is a a loss of of really good strong cognitive cognitive function whereas normally i'm the type of person who i i'm very analytical and i just love learning for learning's sake um and i'm always trying to absorb more information or learn something new or i'm working on a project or i'm making something and so for me being that personality when i'm dealing with a depressive episode the contrast is so severe that it can feel humbling Mm. to a degraded point like you can be very hard on yourself or I can be very hard on myself because I'm you know moving at lightning speed and then I'm just not and not because I don't want to but because I simply can't and um and that's hard and it can feel very very shameful so um yeah to I hope that kind of answers your question. Yes, it does. And it's it's like it, it's a compound problem mm-hmm. because you deal with the depression or you deal with the feeling just off. Just mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people explain it that way where they just don't feel like themselves. It's like it strips you of who you are yes. and you're not really sure what to do with what you're left with. Mm-hmm. And then you deal with the shame or the embarrassment of not being able to function in the way that you normally would. And instead of us being able to take a deep breath and take a moment and allow our hearts to have a second, we feel the need to compensate for, for we must be broken. Mm-hmm. We must be, um, we must be defective in some way to be struggling with this at all. And that's one reason I wanted to talk about it on the podcast is because I feel like that everyone on some level will struggle with this at some point in their life. Yes. And to understand <clears throat> that this is not, this does not mean that you are weaker than the person next to you or that you have less potential or that God has not laid his hand on you just like he has the person next to you because 
because that's what we tend to do in our hearts and our minds. We tend to automatically turn it on ourselves instead of understanding that we live in a fallen world where we have to deal with emotions and with sinfulness in the world and brokenness in the world. That was never the intention from the wonderful God that created this place for us. He didn't want us to deal with these emotions. And we're not, just because we are followers of Christ, just because we long to have him at the center of our lives does not mean we will not encounter trouble. Right. And I love the story of when the disciples went to cross the Sea of Galilee, Jesus told them, go to the other side. And he was going to go up in the mountain. He was going to pray in the mountain. And he gave them specific instructions to go to the other side. And while they were doing nothing but being obedient, they encountered a storm. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything wrong. They did not go away from the instructions Christ had given them, and they still encountered a storm. And it was a very scary moment for them. In the Bible, when you read about it, they thought they were done. The storm was so great. And Jesus was in the mountain miles and miles away, and the scripture says that he saw them. Mm-hmm. in their storm. And that's something that I can't even hardly read about or talk about without getting emotional because we will feel like he cannot see us. Mm-hmm. He he has lost us. He has lost sight of us. He must just be focusing on his other children. He can't see us. And even in that moment, he saw them struggling and he saw them rowing and getting nowhere, mm-hmm. but they were still trying to be obedient. So sometimes we will tell ourselves, well, I must have done something. Mm-hmm. And it's always good to search your heart. It's always good to say, what what can I do to move closer to you? What can I do to surrender more of my life to you? But there are moments when, because we live in a broken world, we will encounter trouble. We will encounter a storm, even if it's inside of ourselves. Beaten and not because we haven't been obedient or haven't reached toward Christ, but just because we live in a broken world. And I feel like it's really crucial for us to understand that instead of automatically turning it to ourselves and thinking that we must be defective, we must mm-hmm. be broken, we must be less than, because that shame right there will pull us farther away mm-hmm. from Christ because we will retreat into our box of shame. <laughs> Um, and so we, I had asked you to tell us at least one of your favorite verses and also how do you practically apply it in your life? We love verses, but there are moments when you're feeling so numb or feeling so broken, so isolated that you can hear a good verse and it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so how do you practically apply that to your life? Um, well, I have a couple of favorites, as I mentioned to you before, and one of them is probably, um, more of what you would expect from someone who deals with fear or depression. Um, and it's Psalms 56, three, and it's just what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. And it's very short and simple and easy to remember. And it's, it's to the point. And I have quoted that to myself so many times and, um, just needed something very, very simple that Mm -hmm. kind of drove to the heart of the matter because it's, it's easy to deal with fear. But the other verse, I feel like it doesn't, relate to depression in a way that someone would expect. Um, A lot of the fears and anxieties that I have dealt with in my life came from a need to be able to perform at a certain Mm -hmm. level. And a lot of it was, there was fear of of disappointing God, like in this, in this mm. obsessive tendencies I dealt with and the fear of I'm going to do something wrong, no matter what I'm, I do, I'm going to do something wrong and I can't be perfect. And I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing is going to be misunderstood. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had 
you know, nightmares when I was a kid. Like there was, there was a lot of fear that was very religion based. It was very, and, um, you know, Mandy being my sister, we've had these conversations before where I've talked to her about things that, you know, teachings in, in church that you can hear that if you struggle with anxiety or fear, when they are taught to you in a way that is not entirely true, or maybe they're overstated Mm -hmm. uh, or exaggerated a bit, it can, you buy those things as complete truth and it can absolutely torment you, especially if you're a child. Mm-hmm. And so in Second Timothy um, <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 8, he is, uh, Paul is talking about um, the Lord and he talks about, uh, I'll just read it. It says, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And it it was that one phrase, the righteous judge. Mm. That was what stuck with me because there were so many things. I, I just get, I get stuck trying to, to find answers sometimes mm-hmm. to questions. That's yeah. just the person that I am. I need to understand things as completely as I possibly can. And that can make a person crazy in and of itself. Just needing to understand everything. Needing to have all the answers. And feeling like I was trying so hard to perform to this level of perfection. The fact that Paul called the Lord, the righteous judge, mm-hmm. when I couldn't, some, you know, I, I would look at scripture and sometimes I genuinely couldn't find an answer for whether a specific decision or choice was right or wrong. Yeah. And I needed, I needed so badly to believe that I could do everything right. Yeah. And I, that's something that I deal with a lot is the, the very black and white thinking. And, um, <clears throat> there was no, there's no real grace in that anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, the fact that it says right there in scripture that God is a righteous judge mm-hmm. that doesn't make him not a judge, exactly. but a righteous judge. Mm-hmm. And he, and if he is a righteous judge, then he truly knows all. I don't have to stand before him and make my case because he knows everything. Mm-hmm. He knows the things that happened to me in my life that I did not ask for. Yes. He knows, he knows when my quote unquote bad mood is not a bad mood, that it's yeah. a chemical in my brain that is not functioning the way that it should. Mm-hmm. And so he truly, knows and understands all and when I would struggle with that need to perform and that need to be perfect that verse just that phrase brought me so much comfort Um, because if you look throughout the scriptures the thread of humanity is absolutely undeniable the people that God used some of them did really horrible things they made terrible mistakes and Yet, even after those terrible mistakes, so many of them were still used by God. And there was still a need for repentance. And all of those things matter. But the truth is that God is a righteous judge and he is absolutely unbiased. Mm -hmm. And there is so much peace in that. And there's this sense of otherness that we we adopt sometimes where everyone else is doing things right. And I'm the only person who can be wrong. I am the variable. I am the X in the equation. Mm -hmm. And so if something is going wrong, especially when you struggle mentally, you're going to personalize it and make it your fault. Mm -hmm. Or I there are there are a lot of you know mental illness is a broad spectrum it's a very wide spectrum and there are a lot of different ways it can manifest so I can only speak for myself but it's easy to personalize it and say something's going wrong it's my fault I don't have a right to speak up and say hey that was wrong because maybe I'm wrong I have to know with absolute certainty I've done everything perfectly before I have the right to be just treated with basic human Mm -hmm. respect and that can be the effect of traumas or mistreatment that you've experienced as well those unhealthy thought patterns but um 
yeah, to, to the original question, that one verse, it doesn't seem typical to me at all, but that has been a great source of comfort for me in my, in my mind. So how do you apply that throughout your day when you're not feeling it at all? When you're not feeling the grace, you're not feeling the compassion, you're, your feelings are lying to you because mm-hmm. your feelings are saying there's no good left. There's no happiness left. There's no peace left. There's no sunshine. There's no birds singing. All of your feelings are saying all the things that your head knows are not true. But our feelings, especially as women, our feelings so overwhelm us and so attached to everything about us. How do you practically apply that to your day? What steps can we take? Little steps. You know, sometimes we'll be like, we'll read a self-help book and they'll Mm -hmm. have big giant things and we can't handle the giant things. We need a small step. We need one basic thing that we can do to just move forward for that day. What would you suggest? Mm -hmm. Well, it it is such a process and that's, that's the thing. And the simplest way that I can summarize taking care of yourself is to get to know yourself. Mm. Um, And I feel like that sounds a little uh, frou-frou or it's going to sound (laughs) funny to some people. Um, But if you don't, if you have spent your entire life trying to, again, perform for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, you may not even really know what brings you joy. You may not really know the things that fuel you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I once, you know, we hear people say constantly, we hear them say, do what makes you happy. And Mm -hmm. we kind of feel a little bit of a a conflict with that advice because we think, okay, well, what if getting up in the morning and ignoring my alarm makes me happy? Well, then Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have a job. So that's (laughs) terrible advice. But the truth is what makes you happy does not, doing what makes you happy doesn't mean do what feels good right this second. Mm. because it may be that getting out and going for a walk I know that's going to make me happy it's going to make me happier it's going to make me feel better it may be that eating better is going to make me happier do what makes you happy doesn't mean do what make what feels I mean I'm sure there's someone who uses that phrase with that intention just do whatever feels good that's not what's healthy but learning what brings you joy and fuels you is absolutely essential if you're going to you know life is a marathon and it's not a sprint Mm -hmm. and that's something that someone said once and I, I wish so badly I could remember who I heard say this. I cannot at all, but they said life is really long and mm-hmm. I've only ever heard life is short, life is short. So there's yeah. this urgency to perform. But if you look at it and you realize that for most of us, I mean, there are tragedies and we've lost people and we've yes. seen people, you know, pass away way too young and that's sad and it's hard. But the truth is for most of us, life is a marathon and it's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And so finding the things that bring us joy, it's we have to or we won't survive especially at the pace that we are required to live in live at in modern society there's something tugging at us from every single angle Mm -hmm. whether it's our cell phones our jobs our kids there's something tugging at us from every angle and so to answer your question I don't feel like I'm doing it very succinctly but on a day-to-day level it takes some time to get to know hey this will make me feel better Mm -hmm. this will fuel these parts of me that are just absolutely parched and empty Mm -hmm. and so you have to start by paying attention to the way things affect you and so it can be intentionally turning on the music that you haven't listened to in a long time that used to bring you joy it can be um, leaving your house sometimes is something that I have to do just because I might be you know if I'm home and I'm thinking oh I have a million things I quote unquote should be doing and I can't do anything that brings me joy until they're all done well maybe I just need to escape that environment for a little Mm -hmm. bit so I can you know so it's out of sight out of mind Um, it it looks different for everybody but the bottom line is you have to think about 
start thinking about those things that have always brought you joy and some of those memories will go all the way back to childhood you know I remember um seeing this painting and I loved it or I you know whatever I mentioned painting because I really like sitting and doing watercolor and ink Mm. I love and I'm I'm no good at it but it brings me joy (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I'm never gonna sell a painting but when I get up from that I feel refueled and I feel like I've looked at something beautiful and I've created something. And so it fills me in a way that cleaning something isn't, (laughs) you know. You're stepping away from the performance Mm -hmm. and you're stepping into the rest for a minute Mm -hmm. Um, instead of what you're doing. I feel like especially as moms, we constantly have the feeling that if we're going to rest, that we need to be actually accomplishing something even if we're resting. Yes. Like I've joked about, you know, if you're going to take a shower, then we scrub the shower Mm -hmm. while we're in the shower. We don't just take a (laughs) shower. As moms, we'll scrub the shower because we can't just take a moment for ourselves to even get clean, even though Mm -hmm. this is a basic hygiene issue. We feel like we need to be accomplishing something and Mm -hmm. it's hard to turn that off in your brain. It's hard to make the choice to be like, my heart and my soul needs to breathe for Mm -hmm. just a second. It's hard to do that and step away from, like you said, when you're painting with the watercolors, it's not because you're going to make money for your family Mm -hmm. or anything. It's not about anyone else. It's about you taking a second and stepping away from all the demands. Because my husband told me one time, he said, you don't know how to relax. And it's very true. I -hmm. don't know how to relax. I think as moms, we don't know how to relax. Mm -hmm. It's, there's always another thing on the list. The list never gets checked all the way off. Mm -hmm. There's another thing. We've started the next day's list before we've even finished this day's list, Mm -hmm. you know? And so taking the, I feel like that what you're saying is, Take a moment to not do it because you have to. Not do it because this is a performance or this is another thing to check off, but because you're going to delight in this. Yes. It, there's a the scripture that I'm going to talk about in the next episode. It's Psalms 94, 19, and it says, In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Mm-hmm. And I love that it doesn't just say, Thy comforts let me sleep or thy comforts, you know, give me food or all those things we need to but delight for just a second god did not create beautiful flowers and trees mm-hmm. and the wind and the mountains and all the things that are amazing just because he had nothing better to mm-hmm. do he gave them to us as a gift and we are so busy especially in today's society that we don't take time to be delighted in god's creation or in the fact that he made us for a purpose and mm-hmm. we deserve to breathe for a second because we I've said it over and over I'll probably say it way too much but we cannot continue to pour out what we don't contain if we don't take Mm -hmm. a moment for soul break for you know you have a praise break and all these things but we need to take a moment to actually feel delighted in something again to feel that delight I don't think delighted is the right way to use that Mm -hmm. I can feel Nate from wherever he is my husband cringing but we need to take a moment to actually feel the delight instead of just the demands yes. for a minute. And we have reached our 25-minute mark. Me and Candy are going to come back. Next week, we'll have another episode for you guys. But I have loved this so much. Thank you so much, sis. Thank you This for has been me. awesome. So I hope you guys are having a wonderful week, and I hope you really enjoy listening to this. Please give us some feedback. I would love to hear any questions that you have for myself or for Candy, or just the fact that you understand that you've experienced kind of what we've spoken about today. Y'all have a really good day. Bye-bye.